Okay. <laughs> it's always wonderful to hear that. Thank you, Nadia. Um, I'm so happy to be here tonight, and uh, I always find it great when God likes to kind of change what you're going to say in the middle of worship. So bear with me. But um, we are in, uh, first of all, hello. I wanted to say hi to you all first before I start chatting with you. Um, we are in a series called Romans, and James had talked to us about um, this new season. There you go. Yeah, I love seasons. But he wanted to talk, he talked to us about going into Romans. So we all come from different churches, and we are, are all taught differently. But we really felt like this was a place to try to build your guys' faith and become disciples of Christ. And Romans is such a good book for that. It has so many deep wells for us as walking our faith out. And so um, last week, James talked about being a bondservant, keeping our eyes on Jesus, our master, and doing what pleases him. And so I actually thought originally I was going to do chapter two. And so I read it, got really into it, and I was like, okay, it's about um, judgment and circumcision. So I was going to bring out some scissors, like, you know, a little action, but yeah, so I got it. I got the message, and then James like, actually... Uh, we're going to do a different, you're going to do Romans 1, 16 to 17. So I was like, okay, that'll be better. I'm like, okay, we got this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Got it. So I started to read the verse and was really challenged. And we're going to go into it, why I would have been challenged by this verse. So if you have your Bibles or your app, I would encourage you to open it. If you do not have a Bible, we have them available for you, and it would be very important for you to have one in your life to read daily. So come talk to us at the end. But we're going to read Romans 1, 16 to 17. And the New King James Version says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And if you've been here before, you know how much I love the Passion Translation, so let's read it in that version. I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Christ. For I am thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved, the Jew first, and then people everywhere. This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness, a perfect righteousness given to us when we believe. And it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. This is, that, this is what the scripture means when it says we are right with God through, living, through life-giving faith. So let's pray. God, we thank you for tonight. Thank you that... You have given us the book of Romans to teach us and to disciple us and to challenge us in our faith. And so for every person in this room, wherever they are in their story, God, I pray that they would have a heart to receive tonight what you have to say. And um, give me the wisdom, I pray, to be able to deliver what you want to say as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was reading this verse, and of course, I think it's appropriate for me to ask this question of myself when I'm about to speak with you guys. Um, what does this verse mean to me? So I don't want to preach at you. I just want to really, when I read it, I really wanted to challenge my walk. And we, we can err on the side of becoming too familiar with the gospel. 
And I think it's really important to become familiar with Jesus and get to know him in relationship. But sometimes there can be a, a negative side of familiarity where it's we actually forget the value of what is in front of us. And I, after Christmas, I was like, oh, Jesus, I really want to know you more. And see, I grew up in the church. Like, they say you were born in the pews. That was me. I grew up everywhere, like, practically had birthday parties at the church. My dad was a worship leader. Everything. We lived in the church. And I've been so immersed with God in my life. I don't know my life without God. Like, if I think about it, I actually don't know what it is like to not know God. Some of you in this room do. I do not. I can't even actually, like, my mind can't wrap around it. And so, at at Christmas, I was like, God, I just really want to know you more. I want to know you in a different light. I want to see you in a different way. I want to, I want to well, not start over, but just have a fresh revelation of who Jesus really is. And so since Christmas, I've been reading the Gospels over and over, trying to find out who is Jesus. Because I've known Jesus through how the church has taught me. I've known Jesus through how my parents have taught me. I've known Jesus through like my 20s, everything. But there comes a time where you're kind of like, God, I just need to know you again. Because we get familiar with the stories and we get to know him in a different, like the same way. And so reading the Gospels lately, I've been, I've been really purposing in my heart to see Jesus. And it's challenged a lot of my mindsets. But the great thing about this is you actually get to encounter the Gospel in a different way. In a new and a fresh way. So I want to break down the verse a little bit here. Um, but I felt like God actually told me in worship to concentrate on one section more. So bear with me as I juggle. So I'm not going to talk about the idea of like talking about, about how the message in the gospel is for the Jew and the Greek. I think we all are under, we all know that the gospel is for everybody on this earth, no matter who you are. And so when Paul was talking to the church, the Roman church, he was talking to a church that was in one of the most influential cities in the world at that time. And he was challenging the Christians that he was speaking to about the gospel. And so I wonder why he would quote this verse at them. So I'm like, okay, if I'm the Christian and I go to the church in, in Rome and Paul comes in and says to me, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I wonder if he kind of, because knowing Paul, who's like super sarcastic, I wonder if he had like another message going on. Like, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Are you? I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he was challenging them in that message. So first, let's talk about Paul and his ability not to be ashamed of the gospel. And then we're going to talk about the righteousness of God. And then talk about from faith to faith. And then I'm going to try to pull it all together. I'm not a theological person. I'm more a person like, how's your heart? How are you feeling? So bear with me. Okay, so the life of Paul. If you don't know Paul, Paul is an apostle in the Bible. And he came from a really um, crazy background. He would be known as like a terrorist today against the church. He persecuted the church. He wanted to throw Christians in jail. He would want to throw you in jail. He'd want to put you to death, and he'd want to shut down this building. So that was Paul's mission as Saul. And his old life was just not glorifying God. He didn't know God at all. And I find it really interesting, um, his initiation into this way of life was actually at the death of Stephen. And it says that, you know, Stephen's... um, Uh, graduation was Paul's initiation. Stephen graduated into heaven. If you don't know the story of Stephen in the Bible, it's in Acts, and he was a guy that was really just loving Jesus and doing the gospel on the earth, and the religious people were not okay with it. And so then I was reading the story of Stephen in Acts, and he just decided to school all the religious leaders, and it was 
it's a very long schooling. Like he went through from the beginning of time to like today. And it, it's, if you read his story, they were upset with him. And then it says in Acts, um, when the religious leaders heard these things, they were overtaken with violent rage, filling their souls. And they gnashed their teeth at him. And I was like, what does gnashing your teeth look like at, at somebody? No. No. Have you ever seen that movie with Brad Pitt? That zombie movie? And all those like zombies walk around like gnashing their teeth? Yeah. I'm just like, oh gosh. It's just a weird way. So I'm imagining that's what the, the religious leaders look like. And it says, but Stephen, overtaken with great faith, was full of holy, the Holy Spirit. He fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm and saw the glory and splendor of God and Jesus who stood up at the right hand of God. Look, Stephen said, I can see the heavens opening and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God to welcome me home. His accusers covered their ears with their hands and screamed at the top of their lungs down uh, to drown out his voice. Then they pounced on him, (laughs) a good pounce, and threw him outside the city walls to stone him. His accusers, one by one, placed their outer garments at the feet of a young man named Saul of Tarsus, known as Paul. So this was the moment that Paul, they say, started to um, attack the church. And as they hurled stone after stone at him, Stephen prayed, Our Lord Jesus, accept my spirit into your presence. He crumbled to his knees and shouted in a loud voice, Our Lord, don't hold this sin against them. I believe, even though it, it triggered Paul to start accusing the church, I have to believe that there's something that happened in that moment for Paul to... Re- that would go deep into Paul's life. You know, just put yourself in that story. You're Paul, and you see a man being stoned to death because of what he believes in, and all he can do is say, Jesus, forgive them. That would have to shake you in some way. And so then Paul goes into this um, life of like hurting people, and he then decides to go on the road of Damascus, and all of a sudden he encounters God. God shows up in his life. Sometimes we think God like chases us down, but sometimes I believe like God like actually cuts us off in our path. And I, whenever I read that, I was like, when Paul, God says to Paul, 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 why are you persecuting me? I always thought he was angry. That's how I read it as a kid. But lately I've been reading it and I hear this heartache of God like saying, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hurting me? Why are you hurting my family? Why are you hurting my church? And in that moment, Paul encountered love. He encountered a God that chased him down, cut him off, and pursued him with love. And in those three days of him being blind, I have no idea all that happened to Paul, but it must have been good because it transformed his life. And the moment he could see, it said within the hour, he was in the synagogues preaching about Jesus. Within the hour. A lot of us think it needs like 10 years before you can preach about Jesus. But Paul, within the hour, had such an, a transformation with the gospel that within the hour he was preaching. I also think Paul, not ashamed of the gospel, I always wonder, I'm like, but should you not be a little bit ashamed? Like you did persecute the church. 
So if he, sh- so if he, Paul came into our lives and, and killed some of our friends and tried to shut down our building and all of a sudden was radically changed and saved, would we want him up front here preaching about Jesus? Or if it was you that was doing it, you'd be like, I'm saved, but I'm going to sit in the back row because I'm so sorry I didn't mean to do that to you. <laughs> but I believe when Paul encountered the gospel and encountered the love of God, it so changed his identity, and he totally knew that God was on his side. He experienced forgiveness. He experienced restoration. He experienced faith, and he experienced the love of God that actually brought him out of shame and into this full confidence of what God had done in his life, and he was going to preach, and he did it within the hour. A lot of us think that we have to go through this huge transformation to actually get to that place. But sometimes the power of God in our life can be so quick that it can actually change us pretty quickly. And Paul understood this message of not being ashamed. Why? Because he actually saw it in Stephen's life before him. He heard Peter say, uh, he heard Stephen say, Jesus that Jesus was standing up at the right hand of God, welcoming him home. And Jesus, in, a, in Luke, had said, I can, this is a very strong language, so beware. I hope you can handle it. Jesus said, I can assure you of this. If you don't hold back, but freely declare in public that I am the Son of Man, the Messiah, I will freely declare to the angels of God that you are mine. But if you publicly pretend that you don't know me, I will deny you before the angels of God. Yeah. So a lot of us here are great at being Christians within the church. We love it. It's freedom. We can do it, and it's good because we're supposed to be equipped. But Pastor James actually spoke about this a couple Sundays ago at church. You need to listen to that podcast. It's about the kindness of Jesus. And it said, like, how often do we go to coffee shops? And we're talking about, we're talking like, oh my gosh, what a great like shopping trip. It was a great date. It was all these good things. And then the minute you're like, hey, can you, can you pray for me? I'm guilty. I sometimes do that. Or you can be like one of those Christians that are like super loud and obnoxious, disrupting everybody's coffee time in that place, not really giving a good example of Jesus in a way. <laughs> Maybe that's up for debate. Um, but like in the world where we all are, it's our domain, are we being ashamed? And that could just be like lowering your voice or it could look in, like it could just look different ways. I personally do not want Jesus to publicly pretend he doesn't know me. And I, a lot of us will get saved, but we still sit in our shame, and we still hold on to our past, and we don't receive the full impact of the cross, which is erasing our past, and we still operate from that. But somehow Paul, in those three days, knew that when he got saved, it took him into a new status of life, and that was righteousness. And I fear that those of us who have been saved a long time, like myself, we forget the power of the gospel in our lives. 
And I love it how God brings people into your path, especially those saved a long time who have just been saved for a couple years. And they kind of school you, like Paul did to the Romans. For example, I'm going to name drop right here, Danielle Tumente, saved four years now. Yeah. I honestly, um, she talks to me and I'm like, oh, okay, still need to read my Bible. <laughs> she has such a revelation of the love of God and, the, and his restoration in her life that it actually makes me jealous. It really does. You've come such, maybe we're just a night of honoring tonight, but <laughs> you've come such a long way in such a short amount of time. And you make us all jealous in our faith, those who have been saved for a long time. And I, and I love how God does bring people into our lives to kind of push us forward, you know? Like Paul was doing this to the church of Rome. He, he was saved for like five minutes and he was already preaching at them to get themselves better. So, okay, so let's jump into righteousness. Righteousness. I always kind of had a difficult um, time fully understanding what this word meant. <laughs> Shouldn't, but I did. Uh, and then James gave me a teaching to listen to, and I loved it. It was really informative. So righteousness was actually a secular term that Paul brought to the church. It was a very common word that they used during like just everyday life. And it meant this. It meant a good citizen. It meant a person with good character and conduct. They were upright. They never swayed to the left or the right. They had moral values. These aren't Christians. These were just people that lived in Rome or whatever cities they were. And they were law-abiding. They were stable. They were good. They helped their neighbors. They helped strengthen the empire. And they served the leadership. And they were a positive contribution to the community. So when Paul was talking to the Romans, the Christian Romans, he was reminding them that this was God. God was righteous. God was of good character and good conduct. He had good morals. He was upright. He never swayed to the left or to the right. He, he was law-abiding. He made the laws. But he was stable and he was good. And so when Paul was saying, hey, this is God. He is righteous. And this are the, these are the characteristics of him. They could relate because they knew it because it was a secular term. And then he was saying, hey, when you, become, when you know Jesus, you too are righteous. Because God now sees you as righteous, a citizen of heaven. When we accept Jesus, God takes a sinner and puts the righteousness of his son, his character, over that person and now sees that person as righteous. So you think you have to like work, like I'm saved, but I have to like really work it out. No, you're immediately seen as righteous. Our legal status with heaven changes and we're righteous. It changes our status, but it does not change our nature. And this is where our faith comes in. We can change by continually living by faith, allowing the Holy Spirit to shape us, and we walk out our salvation, growing through the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives, which then changes our nature to be one of righteousness, right standing, moral, good, kind, peace, generous. It goes on. And so living out our faith means living out our gospel. And what is the gospel? It's the message of Jesus. It's what Jesus preached. It's, what, it's the actions of Jesus. 
And our faith grows as we use it. When we are given the revelation and we walk it out, God sees that we are serious about his word, and then he gives us more revelation. We go from faith to faith, strength to strength, glory to glory. It's the journey. Anyways, so you can want it, right? But if you don't work it out, you're not going to get it. So that's kind of like the example. For a while, I was like driving around, and I I think I wanted to like grow in something, and it was like painful, and I honestly kept seeing the signs everywhere I drove, no pain, no gain, everywhere. And I was like, okay, I get it, thanks. (laughs) Got it, God. So that's the thing, like when you want the gospel to unfold in your life, guess what? You have to show up and actually do it. It's just like, it's not like wishful thinking. I want more gospel. Hmm, Okay, well, you have faith without works is dead. You have to work it out. And that's how you grow your muscles. That's how you grow your faith. I... My heart tonight is that um, you get the... Okay, so in worship, I was sitting there, and, I, and that one song that you guys sang, the last, was such a beautiful song, and it says, um, what's the last line? I'm so bad with lyrics. Uh, I was lost and you found me. Was that it? Sure. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> if not, we're writing a song about it. Uh, <laughs> But I, I love that lyric, and I was like, yeah, I'm singing it. When I was lost, you found me. But I was like, I don't know if I've ever been lost, because I've always known God. So how do I sing that song? Like, I've had moments of feeling confused or disillusioned, but like, I don't, maybe God found me when I was four years old in Sunday school, and that's where I sing from that place. I'm actually jealous of Paul's encounter with love. Because I don't, I don't really like, I don't remember that encounter with love. I remember my growth of love with God, but that life-altering change. And I know God will use my story. I'm not, I'm not like, oh, discouraging those people that have been faithful to God all their lives. That's another beautiful testimony. But Paul had such a revelation of that love of God, that power of it, that he was unable to keep silent. And he knew the value and the gift that it was given to him. And it says in Romans 1.14, a few verses before, love obligated Paul to preach. That's the gospel. The reason Jesus showed up was because of love. And if you forget that that's the motive and that's the place that you come from, then it's just religion and you're just doing good works. And I, and I do, I fear for those of us who've walked with the Lord that we could easily forget the great cost that Jesus gave, that Jesus did and he paid for We could easily forget the gift of love that he just gave us. So I feel that Paul, when he was speaking to these Christians in Rome, and he was telling them that he's not ashamed of the gospel, he was trying to teach them about 
not being silent because maybe he thought they were silent. He was reminding the Christians of the purpose of their faith, and that is the outflow of their faith. The message of Jesus. What is the gospel? What is the gospel to you? You can easily hear that word a lot in the church, the gospel of Christ. Yeah, we do it. We live it. We believe it. But what is it? What is it in action? Well, I've been reading the gospels lately, so I can tell you. (laughs) Okay, so it's love. It's loving your neighbor. It's a joyous message. It's a message of goodness and good news. It rescues humanity from sin and from death. It heals the sick. It brings freedom to those who are oppressed. It brings peace to those who struggle with anxiety and depression. It takes care of the needs of those around you. It's helping those consider their options when they think that they need to do abortion. It's not picketing them. It's going up to them and saying, how can I help you in this moment? It's loving the political leader we all might not like to love and saying, hey, if you have a chance, hey, I see you're operating out of this place that's maybe a wound. Can I introduce you to someone that can heal you? It's giving food to the hungry As simple as that act is, it's a powerful act. And we're never to judge the outcome of why they're asking for money or for food. That's not our job. Our job is to be generous. It's stopping to say hi to the person no one stops to say hi to. It's loving the prostitute and telling them to go and sin no more. It's the miracles of feeding the thousands. Why can't we do that? Seriously, why not? I've read this um, this psalm the other day, and it like it wrecked me because I'm like definitely not doing that in my life. So it's Psalm one forty five six to seven. Your awe inspiring acts of power have everyone talking. I'm telling people everywhere about your excellent greatness. Our hearts bubble over as we celebrate the fame of your marvelous beauty, bringing bliss to our hearts. I, I don't hear everyone talking about God's inspiring acts. And I, there's a part of me that takes ownership of it a little bit. I think we all take ownership of it because I'm kind of like, why don't we see his awe-inspiring acts? Or why aren't we talking about them when we do see them? Why aren't we pursuing his awe-inspiring acts? And what are they? Miracles, signs, wonders, freedom, all of that. Are we not pursuing it enough? Have we become a culture that's just me? Rather than God, that person over there is broken. How can I help them? That's an awe-inspiring act. Do your hearts bubble over as we celebrate the fame of our God? I have moments, but it's not consistent. Our lives, the gospel unfolding in our lives as we grow in righteousness and as we grow faith to faith, we aren't a pond 
And ponds are stagnant. They just sit there. They don't do anything. But we have to be that river that overflows its banks. That is the gospel. And Paul's challenging the Romans because maybe he saw that they weren't overflowing. They were in the most powerful city. And they, had the, they were the most influential city. So if they could change that city, could they not change the world? I'm jumping a little bit ahead in Romans, but in Romans 2.20, he says, He has made his wonderful attributes easily perceived. For seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. So, for example... If we, as people who know Jesus and know the gospel, if we live out the gospel and we, we help people who are sick and feed the hungry and take care of the poor, take care of the people that are considering death or suicide, if we do this and people see it, do they then relate it to God? I think they do because they, can't, because they don't see that every day. They don't see kindness every day. They don't see love every day in action. And as we become righteous, as we become good citizens of heaven's realm, everyone is able to see God in our lives and how we live it out, and they then will hopefully look to heaven and to meet God. And this doesn't have to be a daunting task. It can be super simple because we have the grace of God, which enables our faith, and the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us. And I've said many times before, please become best friends with the Holy Spirit. Please do, because he's going he's gonna to push you and be like, there's someone you need to talk to. There's someone right there. There's someone right there. And sometimes we have this big, like, grand scheme, and we're like, oh, this is so overwhelming. It's the world. How can I lead them all to Jesus? That's how I think. But God's like, what if one person in the faith took care of another person not in the faith? The gospel is this, that we aren't ashamed of, is receiving Jesus, receiving righteousness through his conversion, living out the gospel so we grow in our faith, and then this empowers us to live by faith. And the purpose is so that all may experience and come to know the love of God. I was um, talking with, I told her I named her again, uh, Linda Bakunda. If you want to grow in your faith, talk to Linda. Linda. And we were talking about like how in Western culture, we're very individualistic. We're talking about how like it's always about us. You do you, right? Whereas in the rest of the world, it's actually more of a unit thought process. What I do actually affects my unit, actually affects my family. But in Western culture, we don't think that way. It's apparently we have the right to think about us first and be like, oh, this doesn't make me happy, so I'm not going to do it. But in the rest of the world, they're like, hey, if I make this choice, it's actually going to affect this. And it's a ripple effect. What if we as Christians took on that mindset and we're like, okay, if I do this, if I actually go and talk to that person who's considering suicide and I introduce them to Jesus and I introduce them to hope and their life changes and then they lead their family to the Lord, right? Right? It's a unit, it's a family approach. 
I think I heard this, don't quote me on this, even though I'm on podcasts, don't quote me. But I heard this about Billy Graham that his, Billy Graham, if you don't know, is like, he just passed away last year, but he was this world famous evangelist that led so many people to Jesus. And I heard that he, um, that I think his friend brought him to Sunday school. And I heard a preacher say, as much as Billy Graham's going to get great crowns in heaven, that one friend that invited him to Sunday school will just get as many crowns. So you have the potential to change the world by maybe encountering a Billy Graham. Maybe you're a Billy Graham. Do you know what I mean? Do you see it? Paul's trying to tell the church, don't, don't think about yourself. Don't be ashamed of this beautiful gift that's been given to you. But he's saying, just go out, preach it, and it has to be love. I believe that when Paul met God on the road to Damascus, he actually encountered his heart so much that it actually changed his perception of what he was supposed to do on this earth. You know, when you value somebody and you love someone and you get to know their heart, you get to know why they, what they, what's really important to them and what their passions are, don't you want to help them with it? Don't you want to be, do whatever you can to serve them and to help them grow or to help them get what they want? That's what love is, right? And that's what love with Jesus is. We get to know his heart, and his heart is for the world to get saved. So what is our responsibility? What is our action to do this? I'm going to ask the band to come up. Um, I didn't feel like I was supposed to preach really long and... I don't know if I have or not, but that's okay. Um, But I wanted to ask you guys some practical takeaways. I want to challenge you guys. And sorry if this is a heavy word, but um, it's the gospel and we need to live it out. And it's important to our faith. And it's important to, even to you as Christians who have been Christians for a really long time. I really, I, I guess I'm gearing this message more to you tonight. Sorry for those of you just that got saved. Just challenge us, please. You too, part of the story. But I want to challenge you guys who have known Jesus your whole life or you sit in the pews every Sunday. I really want to challenge you because I am challenged. I really am. I want to see my life be one that I actually encounter Jesus where I can do more miracles. I want to give up more prophetic words to people that don't know him. I want to actually look at someone in the eye and just say hello to them. And I know I'm saying this now, and I know God's going to be like, okay, have fun this week. Here they come. But it's good to be challenged. That's how you grow. It's good to work out your faith. It's how you grow. So my practical takeaways for you, and this is, I really want you guys to posture your heart before the Lord. And as I ask these questions, maybe you can close your eyes. Um, As I ask these questions to you, I'll ask and I'll pause. Because I really want you guys to think about them. Because I want it to go deep. To those who have been saved for a really long time. What would your life be like without God?
if you've thought of it, then there's definitely someone out there that's living that life. Ask God, do I really know the power of the gospel and its ability to empower me? God sees you as righteous, right standing. Do you see yourself that way? How am I living my faith out? Not just about yourself, but living your faith out for others. How are you doing it? How am I being a good citizen of God's kingdom? The big one. Am I ashamed of the gospel? Is my heart bubbling over? Am I talking about his awe-inspiring acts? Am I taking care of those in need? Am I offering shelter to the homeless? Am I walking with someone who is making a life-changing decision or a decision that could alter their life? Am I so in love with Jesus that I know his heart? (laughs) I'm kind of smiling because I kind of just felt, I felt Jesus' smile towards us just now. I I actually feel like Jesus is saying like he's so proud of you guys he's so proud of you and even though this is a heavy word it's not a word to condemn it's a word to inspire you know in the passion translation Paul says um, I am thrilled to preach the gospel there's like excitement this hope this joy And I feel like Jesus is saying right now in this room, I'm so happy you guys are chosen to share my story. I really feel like that from heaven right now. He's saying, he's saying to you guys, I chose you to be here in this moment because I want to inspire you because you don't know your potential, but it's great. And you actually have the ability to change the world that is right around you. You know, I think it's beautiful. Jesus could actually save the world like that. That's how much power he has. But he actually decides to use us. And that is such a beautiful picture if you just dwell on it. He wants to use the, the man that persecuted and killed Christians to share his story. 
He wants to use the prostitute to share his story. He wants to use the people that have known him forever to share his story. And that is the gospel. That is you living out the gospel. That is you in your righteousness. That is you with your faith from faith. Paul felt it necessary to challenge the Christians in Rome. It's always necessary to get challenged. And so I say this message with an overarching theme of hope, with an overarching theme of you can do this, with an overarching theme that it's an invitation to know Jesus and get to know his heart. And when you do, your responsibility then is to actually take his message out. We can't be people that hoard. We have to be people that give. The generous spirit, the river, the overflow, because we've so encountered the love of God that why would we want to keep it just for ourselves? We would so want someone else to experience it. It's so worthy and so beautiful. And so, um, I don't know, are you guys going back into that last song? Okay, I just feel like in this moment, um, there are gonna, there's going to be a moment where God actually downloads to you the weight of the gospel into your heart. And some of you in this room that are asking God, like, oh, I don't know the gospel. I'm just so familiar with it. Just ask him to reveal it to you. And, some that, and we, I'm all about practical takeaways. Read the gospels. Go, go home and study them. Read Jesus. Um, read about Jesus. Look at how he encountered people. Read it from a place of love. And, um, and as we go into worship, ask Jesus to reveal to you the weight of, and the beautiful gift and the value of the gospel and what he did for us.